Hey, pretty people. So writing books is not the only thing that I do. On my website, I also have an eShop where I sell things like cute animal pillows, candy-themed AirPod cases, Pokemon building block sets, and more. And the shipping is free. Also, if you subscribe to my email list, you'll get a 10% off coupon for everything currently available. I occasionally do giveaways that are exclusive to subscribers, so don't miss out. Sign up today. The Demetrius Show podcast covers a variety of topics concerning mental health. This occasionally includes topics such as depression, anxiety, eating disorders, and thoughts some people may find distressing to hear. Listener discretion is advised. Each episode dealing with mental health is meant to be a general discussion and not meant to take the place of advice or treatment from any licensed medical professional. If you are needing mental health advice and or treatment, please speak with a mental health professional. I mean, I think that the biggest thing that kind of gets in the way, like kind of along with the shame, like part of shame is, is expectations and perfection, I think is some aspect of it. And I think that individually and culturally, we have a lot of expectations and a lot of feelings of perfection around eating disorder and eating disorder behaviors. Our culture encourages us to have a complicated relationship with food. It's like we're encouraged to overindulge and eat out all the time, while simultaneously shaming us if we're a certain body type or overweight. And when you're constantly presented with these conflicting feelings, things can understandably get confusing. And those feelings of shame can lead to disordered eating, which comes in many forms. I absolutely believe we, as a society, could stand to make healthier eating choices with regards to what we consume, but it's a lot more complex than we make it out to be. And I'm going to repeatedly emphasize in this episode that shame has no place in making healthier eating decisions. I do not condone shaming or guilt-tripping people into losing weight or eating healthier. So on today's episode, we're going to focus on talking about disordered eating, how it originates, and break down some aspects of it that we don't normally take into consideration. So let's get started. Welcome to The Demetrius Show, where I learn how to walk through my shadows, picking the flowers I've grown through sheer resilience. And I may not know enough yet to start teaching, but I'm going to keep convincing you to keep pushing. I'm Demetrius, and this is my life after speaking. There are many different types of eating disorders. I won't go through each and every one. However, When you really start to take a deep look into why people have an unhealthy relationship with food, it has less to do with the food itself and more to do with underlying causes and triggers. For instance, I came to grips recently with the fact that I overeat regularly, and it's been a thing ever since I was a teenager. In fact, it was encouraged. Some of you are probably familiar with the sentiment about growing boys and their need to eat more. You may come from families where you were always encouraged to eat as much as you wanted. And especially as a Black individual, a lot of our culture places food as a source of comfort. It symbolizes love and togetherness. It originates from a time when we had to make do with what little we had access to, thanks to racism. So we also view it as a source of safety and stability. That was definitely the case for me as a gay teen because I rarely ever felt safe and secure. 
Food was one of the few things I could use as an instant dopamine release, and it instantly became a regular way to improve my mood. In fact, whenever I would try to diet and exercise, I would become more anxious and depressed because I subconsciously felt like one of my primary sources of safety and happiness were being taken away. It took a considerable amount of time for me to address the root cause of my eating habits, and it all came down to low self-esteem and a negative self-image, which I've talked about previously. Now, I have been able to successfully employ healthier eating habits without forgoing everything that I like to eat. And moderation has been working for me. I don't focus so much on restricting things as I do by emphasizing healthy options first and foremost, and allowing myself grace if I have a day where I have the audacity to want Whataburger that day. That's why I wanted to have this much-needed discussion and why I invited Erica Holmes to speak with me today. Erica is a therapist who is branching out to help individuals address their relationship with food and their body. So naturally, she's an excellent person to speak to about today's topic. So let's bring her on. My name's Erica Holmes. I am a marriage and family therapist licensed in Colorado where I live. I'm branching out to help more people besides just doing one-on-one therapy by doing coaching. So I'm doing coaching program for individuals to help them heal their relationship with food and body by getting beneath the just the symptoms and healing the relationship with themselves to make it possible to have better relationship with others. So not just food, but with themselves and others to have more of a a lasting recovery than just band-aids and quick fixes and rules and things like that. So do you have any personal experience with having a sort of negative relationship with food? Sure do. Yeah, <laughs> Since I was a, a kid, I use food, I don't know, to help comfort and soothe and, and overate and snuck food as a kid. And also during that time started dieting kind of off and on, I would see what my mom was doing. Or I remember one time hearing a story about like what Vanna White ate and trying to go for that. So it's always been a little bit funky. And then in college, it turned into like a full eating disorder and anorexia. And then I started a recovery journey from there. So that was in college and I'm 41 now. So it's been a minute of this whole ride, but it it keeps evolving. And actually at this point, I'm like super grateful for it. I think it's, there's been like so many cool things that have come from me reconciling, not just my relationship with food and my body, but also like my identity, my, my emotions, myself, figuring out how to relate better with other people. It's been really cool. And then from doing my own work, I went to school and got my master's in psychology. And since my internship, I've been working with people with eating disorders at every level of care from hospitalization to date programs and to private practice. So a lot of experience. Yes, yes, definitely sounds like it. You've got a lot going for yourself there. So that's that's awesome. Very good. Thank so you. how do you define disordered eating? I mean, that's the complicated part. And it runs mm-hmm. the gamut of people who have just a disordered disordered eating where they just have a funky relationship with food or or maybe they've got some they're picky or whatever it might be all the way to having eating disorders that can be deadly. I think in a nutshell, I would say it tends to be when food and weight 
and behaviors related to that get in the way of being healthy, get in the way of uh, your mental and emotional well-being and get in the way of having healthy, strong connected relationships with others. And I think also it's like literally eating disorders. There's some like literally disordered, like food is more important or takes more focus than family or friends or work or health, or it can be like food rules or the behaviors around food, like what you eat, when you eat, how you eat it are more important than actual hunger or fullness or nutrition needs. Right. Okay, that makes sense. And going back to the taking precedence over your emotional and mental health needs, especially there, because, you know, a lot of us, like I think you mentioned earlier, use food to cope. I know I do. And Mm -hmm. that does get to a point, it did for me, where you realize that you're just every time you get stressed or every time you have a bad day, The first go-to is just to get something really gross, but tastes good Mm -hmm. and just eat away. And you find yourself just binging constantly. Mm -hmm. And that was something I had to really stop myself one day when I was sitting in front of like a gigantic thing of Pizza Hut and go, Uh okay, this, why though? You've already eaten lots today why do we need to do this? You know, and that was, and I'm comfortable sharing that, Mm -hmm. you know, some people are, they're ashamed. They're like, I don't want to tell people I was eating too much in one day. I, you know, I saw that. I saw that. Oh my gosh. Like, why do you have a whole pizza Mm -hmm. right now? You don't need this. You know, you really, you truly do not. And did you figure it out? Oh yeah, I did. Absolutely. That was when I looked and I said, you know what, you're doing this because you are stressed. You Mm -hmm. are, you associate eating with, for me, it was, I associated the eating with safety. Yep. Right. So if I, I would not really go into like a healthy eating pattern or plan all the way because I was afraid of, um, I just hard to explain, but just a safety component. And I think it has to do with when I first moved out on my own and from college, I could barely afford to make myself a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. In fact, there was a time where Mm -hmm. I made, all I had was peanut butter and I think a slice of bread until payday. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I put the peanut butter on the piece of bread. And I remember I folded it in half and that was my meal for the whole day. And that Mm -hmm. was, I think that was just really traumatic at the time for me. And so I never wanted to ever go through that again. And so, or even think remotely close to it. So I really, really overcorrected. And later in life where I'm like buying all this food, filling up my refrigerator with stuff that really could probably last me a couple of months if I put it in the freezer. Mm-hmm. So that when I finally saw that and I, cause I had started also looking into like, what do you need every day for nu- nutritional value and to help you maintain a healthy weight, things like that. And I remember I had been counting everything and tracking and things like that. And that was when, but I also not like making myself deprive myself of being really restrictive because yeah. I didn't want to go down that route either. Right. So it really did reach a point where I did see in that moment where I was like, no, you've had everything you need to meet your nutritional value goals today. Mm-hmm. You don't need this. You think you need this because it's going to keep you safe and you're not going to feel like you're going to starve to death tomorrow, but you've already gotten what you need. So it's okay. So really peeling back that layer 
layer upon layer, right? And going, oh my gosh, you know, you can be disciplined and still be able to function. You're not going to, if you don't, if I don't overeat, I'm not going to be able to function at work. Caffeine was another thing I was trying to limit myself on. If I don't Mm -hmm. have a gigantic Starbucks drink every morning, I'm not, I'm going to fall asleep at my desk. Like, you know, those things, taking that away and just going, look, look what you were able to do Mm -hmm. when you just did, when you looked after yourself instead of just trying to place it yourself, look at what you were able to accomplish. And by doing that, I mean, it really, ever since then, it's been where, you know, I cook, I do plan things. I do make sure when I go out to restaurants that, you know, I'm probably really annoying with the people I'm with. Cause I'm like, nope, can't, I can't have that. I'm sorry, but uh-huh. it's been working. It's been working to where, you know, I'm starting to come down from, from a weight perspective, which is important of course, but mm-hmm. also from an overall well being because I realized that I don't need that in order to, to be happy, to have that extra gigantic thing of pizza that I really don't need. I don't need that. And I don't want to continue to use that as a crutch. I want to be able to have the tools that I need that are actually going to help me. Yep. And the more that you're doing that, like it's kind of like a bandaid. Maybe you get distracted. Maybe you do in the moment feel for you like a little bit of safety, but like it gets in the way of the things that are actually more satiating and nurturing and long lasting, like finding some safety and connection within yourself and finding mm-hmm. some safety and connection with your friends or family or community. Like it, it can get in the way. And then it's that thing where it's more and more and more, you're more isolated. You end up getting more dependent on it. Whereas it's a big leap of faith to start to use those other things, other resources, other, other tools, but those things have a better like long-term outcome and more like meaningful safety when you're connected with yourself of like, what do I truly need or connected with others who can Mm -hmm. help you get what you truly need? Yeah. I think also a big component of it is I was okay with really stepping back and I quickly identifying and being honest with myself Mm-hmm. about why I needed that. And a lot of people I know the barrier to that is the shame aspect where sure. the shame prevents them from even mentally. It's like a mental block. They just don't even want to even get, come close to addressing that. And mm-hmm. that's largely to me, a product of our culture where we really do shame people who overindulge in food and mm-hmm. make them feel as though they're just horrible and monstrous. So for me, it was really important to not have that shame, but to kind of peel yourself back and look at where you are, just be, have an Mm -hmm. honest view of where you are, you know? And that was for me was going, yeah, you have had enough to eat today, bro. And you're now trying to eat this gigantic thing of pizza Mm -hmm. and it's not good for you, but at the same time, there's a reason for it. And it goes back to a number of things to where it's not coming from you're just being a bad person. It's you're trying to protect yourself in some way, or you're trying to cope with something. And you're not going to get to that stage if you just fall into the shame aspect. So is is that something that you are able to help your clients with is overcoming that shame? Absolutely. I feel like at every point, the shame is kind of a part of it. Like you're saying, oftentimes shame can be a barrier for people just walking in the door to get some help. But then 
once they're in the door, shame's usually like a key player in people using food to manage stuff. Sometimes it's shame that's a result from trauma and the eating disorder has been helpful to manage trauma symptoms. Sometimes it's shame around like what their body looks like or what their identity is. And then kind of like you, you can be turning towards food to manage those things as opposed to like really doing some of that, some of that work, or it can shame for just having needs in general. And like food's a nice thing of like, you don't, most of the time you don't have to ask someone like no one can tell you what to eat or force you to eat or or force you to stop like often it's a way to like manage needs help emotions that doesn't necessarily require you to like pay too much attention to what's going on and name it and soothe yourself or to like name it and ask for other people for help. Like, so it can be right. like shame can really kind of be driving uh, again, like a part of what can be driving an eating disorder. And a lot yes. of it is so secretive too. I mean, shame, it's one of those self perpetuating things where like our shame lives and grows in, in the darkness and then the secrets and most eating disorder behavior is done in secret, like people who are starving mm -hmm. themselves probably are going to lie about how much they're eating or not eating. People who are binging are probably going to lie about how much they're eating or not eating. Like someone running to the bathroom, someone with bulimia is probably not going to say like, hey, this is what I'm doing, guys. It's all like shame kind of is part of what starts it. And then like that shame around the eating disorder behaviors themselves are also is also part of what can continue it. Exactly. Yeah. So what do you feel are some aspects of disordered eating that we tend to overlook? I mean, I think that the biggest thing that kind of gets in the way, like kind of along with the shame, like part of shame is, is expectations and perfection, I think is some aspect of it. And I think that individually and culturally, we have a lot of ex expectations and a lot of feelings of perfection around eating disorder and eating disorder behaviors. And people tend to kind of focus on what people, what they expect people to look like who have eating disorders. And I think that gets in the way of, I don't know, like if you're people who have large bodies starve themselves and, and people who are in very small bodies binge. So like you can't have that expectation or, or stigma or what something's supposed to look like be what is the determining factor of like, Hey, are you okay? Or the person looking in the mirror and being like, Hey, am I okay? Or is it time enough to get help? Like there's always people who have it worse. Right. You say like the person who has like the perfect or the best eating disorder is dead. Like there it's a deadly kind of thing, but it definitely like that kind of thing can get in the way or we make excuses for people of like, oh, well they're eating. So it must not be a big deal or they're not that skinny or they're, yeah, they've put on a couple pounds, but whatever, like we can make excuses for other people and we make excuses for ourselves. So I think that gets in the way. And I think there's a lot of stuff that is like gets in the way that we like the parts that we overlook is how much an eating disorder is very like at its heart, not really about food weight or size. I think at the, at the heart and what we really need to be talking more about and focusing more on besides like what someone looks like or is that the eating disorder is usually about control or shame or identity, trauma, mm -hmm. 
belonging, regulating emotions, like on and on and on and on like food and, and body just happens to be for that person, like the chosen battleground for those things. And usually why they've chosen that it, it's not even all about weight. Sometimes, sometimes it it's, it's easy to think that it's about food or size or even like internalized misogyny or patriarchy, but sometimes people just stumble on the behaviors and find that they work. And then it kind of like self-perpetuates and turns into a thing. So I think mm-hmm. the more that it's just focused on like size and food and like, oh, if you just get on the right diet, you'll be fine. If you can just shed some pounds or if you just like add a few pounds, like you'll be fine. Or if you just stop purging, you'll be fine. Like, I think that that's uh, completely misguided and then makes a lot of people feel even more shame of like, well, I did the thing and still I feel like garbage. Right. Absolutely. Um, I can see that. I can see that. So you talked about your personal journey of overcoming mm-hmm disordered eating. Mm-hmm. What are, what is your biggest success story? I think that the biggest success story, I think my biggest, biggest success is kind of mirrored in the biggest success that I've seen another person do. And I'm kind of like, a, I'm a little hesitant in calling it the biggest success because everyone's journey is going to look different. And it's not like, oh, if you do this, then you've made it. And if you haven't done this, then like you're less than in some way. But I think my, my biggest success, I think, is being able to tackle all of these kind of things that were part of what got me to have an eating disorder in the first place, and then turn around and like have the, I don't know, the space and desire to help others. And and I think some of my biggest success stories are the ones that I'm most proud or most inspired by with other people is, is how they kind of shrink the eating disorder and then fill that space up with love and with their own passions and with helping other people with their own kind of like social justice stuff that Mm -hmm. they, they want to put some of this energy into. So I think that that's one of the coolest things is is taking some of the I don't know like the the qualities and traits that anyone who develops an eating disorder is going to have and that the eating disorder kind of takes hold of and makes use of and abuses like taking some of those character traits like being smart like being creative like being tenacious and stubborn like being compassionate and and turn all of those around and and use that like use their powers for good and i i think that that's so cool when i get to kind of be along that journey and see other people get to do that like kind of i don't know take up take up more space and and really put themselves out there and and not be in the shame of of an eating disorder and not have a small life whether regardless of size of your body like an eating disorder creates a very small life and being able to have like a big bold juicy exciting life whatever that looks like for the person i think that's that's awesome i agree with all of that and i love that you mentioned the shrinking of the eating disorder and emphasizing the more positive aspects Mm -hmm. that you can kind of tap into. I know for me personally, going back to what I said about safety, it was kind of going and saying, okay, well, when you don't feel, when you are stressed, anxious, whatever the case, depressed, and you do not feel safe, what can you do outside of food to feel safe? What Mm -hmm. would make you feel more safe in those moments? Of course, I want to also do 
the overall big picture work to kind of identify that as well. But in those Mm -hmm. little bitty moments where you're just, you know, finding yourself reaching like I'm okay, I got to go to the vending machine because I am stressed out at work, stressed at my desk. I need something to chew on. And those moments going, okay, well, why? Mm -hmm. What do you need that for? For me. And so absolutely, once you once I began to emphasize the more positive alternatives to what I had been doing and going for those options first, even if I did that day still eat something I had no business, still it was being able to do that and go, okay, you know what? When you did do that, it felt better instead of just eating something. And Mm -hmm. maybe we can just, just do that next time and you'll be okay. So I really, I appreciate that sentiment because, you know, I want people to know that there will be days where at first, when you're trying to shift into those more positive alternatives that you're not going to be perfect at it. You're not going to always knock it out the park. And I don't, want people to feel like the expectation should be kind of like with dieting where you just have to completely start eradicating things from your routine and choices. And if you can't do that, then okay, you failed and maybe better luck next time. It's like, no, it, let's mm-hmm. look at it where it's more of a gradual thing and you want to continuously grow out that positive part. And like you mentioned, once again, shrinking that, that disordered eating aspect of it. Yeah. Cause like so much of like, what is an eating disorder is a lot of shame and self-hatred and you can't recover by adding more shame and self-hatred by having more rigid rules and beating yourself up and having it be black and white. Like it needs to be like, you're saying that thing of like, okay, well, can I, maybe this wasn't my best choice, but can I like be curious about why I did it and what it was doing for me? And can I maybe think of what I want to do for next time, but also acknowledge like there was probably a reason why I did whatever I did today that I'm not pleased about. Like I was probably needing something. I was probably hurting. I was probably having a hard time. So like that all needs a lot more compassion rather than just mm-hmm. being punitive or shaming or or just being so rigid and black and white. Like I really like the the thing of not, I don't know, you don't, fight hate with hate kind of thing. Like you need to add so much love to it and, and be so compassionate and, and compassion. I think there's a, there's a, a woman, Kristen Neff, who I really like, who talks about compassion and she, she talks about two different kinds of like gentle and fierce. And I think with eating disorder recovery, there needs to be both and gentle is really accepting and loving and validating of like, hey, I, I get that you had a hard time, but fierce compassion also needs to be a part of it of like setting some boundaries and, and expecting that you can do better and change and that not everything's great. And that like there, there's, there are some, some boundaries on stuff. So you don't just want to say like, oh, you did this and like, it's fine. And like spiritual bypassing, just like, whatever, it's fine. Like, no, like it's, it's, you can do better. And this, this isn't in line with your goals or this isn't in line with your values. And this is something that you're wanting to work on. And there's a reason why you're wanting to work on it. So like, let's think of how to do it better, but also like 
don't be so hard on yourself that it's like no one, no one gets better by being shamed maybe for a moment, but then it's just like, then you just go to more shame and more hiding. And, and the Mm -hmm. worst is when you start hiding and lying to yourself. Yes. And so you want to be building that relationship with yourself and not create a situation where like, when you look at yourself in the mirror, you're so mean to yourself that you just need to start hiding from yourself. Like that's, that's the place we want to avoid. Precisely. Precisely. I like that you mentioned the honesty aspect. I know when I started tracking my meals and trying to keep up with my nutritional goals, that it's really easy in the beginning to not want to track certain things because mm-hmm. you know you did something wrong that day and you don't want the app to be like, oh, the, or you know whatever it is that you use to be like, oh yeah, you kind of went over your sugar goal there. And yeah. <laughs> so it's really important to be able, like we mentioned both before, to be comfortable with the overall outlook and mm-hmm. to not be afraid of that, not be afraid of being able to see who you are at that moment. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I have my days where I will clock that. I probably had way too many mimosas today and, you know, <laughs> my little limit is done for that day. And, you know, we're just going to do the best that we can for the remainder. So, so yeah, absolutely. And like you mentioned with the shame, it doesn't it doesn't help in an improvement in the long term. And mm-hmm. I think about the fat shaming aspect, especially because mm-hmm. it we whenever I see people who are questioning, you know, like fat acceptance and things like that and all that movement, and it's always emphasized towards we don't need to be accepting, you know, this and promoting obesity. And I'm thinking for myself, I don't think I'm like, that's not really what that is though. It's accepting who you are in that moment. Mm -hmm. And so that when you are able to do that, then you can make healthier choices. You can decide to focus on the things that make you feel better. It's easier once Mm -hmm. you're able to accept yourself for where you are in that moment. And I don't think that there is going to be this huge negative impact on society if we stop, you know, being so rude and hateful to people who are overweight. And so Mm -hmm. I, that's what I think of too, when it comes to the honesty um, aspect of it is we really need, I mean, you need, like I've said before, you really need to look at the entire overall picture and not be afraid of it and not feel like you can't let it be seen and hide it and everything like that. So definitely. Yeah. There's a thing of like the, there always has to be kind of acceptance in order to have change. Like if you're not accepting something as it is and looking at it as it is and, and with as minimal slash no amount of shame as possible, just here's what it is. Like if you're not accepting what is, there's no way you're going to change it Uh, and very least no way that you're going to change it effectively. So the more that you can be looking at, like, yeah, I, I, do this thing, or I have these thoughts, or I have these feelings. And like, when I have these feelings, here's what I tend to do. Okay. And and then we can start changing it. But if it's hiding in line and trying to make it look good, or trying to like minimize it for ourselves or others, like there's no way to truly change that stuff. So do you feel with the work that you do, do you feel that there are enough resources 
available for disordered eating? Or do you feel that there's still more work that we can do? I mean, I I think there's always going to be more that we can do and more that we're going to be finding out. And and I think there's probably going to be more and more that we're finding out in terms of like what's actually driving all of these kind of behaviors, especially there's more work on how trauma is impacting it or how it looks different for people with like neurodivergent folks, like what's going on there with eating disorders. Cause it looks a little bit different. I think the more, I think there is more discussion around it in, in the media and like with celebrities, which I think is nice, but it probably could stand to be a little more nuanced and also mm-hmm. just culture. And it, it sucks to have someone at one point say like, yeah, I struggle with food or eating disorder. And like the very next day they're on the red carpet being told how like they've got the best body ever or on the flip side, like someone like Lizzo being like, I I love myself and she's doing like such cool music and all this kind of stuff. And then everything is talking about how unhealthy it is and how terrible it is and what a bad mm-hmm. example. And so like, it, it's still kind of talking out of both sides of, of its mouth, like culture is. So I think that that gets really confusing. And so it, I think there needs to be a continued all the time. There needs to be continued discussion about it. Some like normalizing of like those shades of gray also, I think would be helpful so that it's not just like, well, either you're like fine or you're on death's door. And that's the only thing that we, that we are going to talk about or, or like that that's kind of the template for what it looks like for someone who needs help with an eating disorder. Like I I think there needs to be more nuance in terms of that. There are a lot of good resources. I mean, on social media, I'm, I'm not personally on TikTok, but I know I, can't go a day without someone telling me what what interesting thing they've seen on TikTok when my clients mm-hmm. but that I think you got to be a little bit careful of whatever you don't want to just take whatever influencer is on there or whatever coach that's maybe had like a a 2 hour certification like or bro science mm-hmm. kind of dude on there like that's not necessarily who you want to be following so you've got to be very i don't know discerning i guess with what information you take i always think that people should talk to doctors when they're doing anything in like cuz this does have such a medical component to it but i think if someone were wanting to find good solid information or at least a good place to start there's a couple websites i'd suggest there's a national eating disorder association NEDA NEDA they're online one called IADEP the international association of eating disorder professionals IAEDP or oh ANAD is another one that is the anorexia and national association of anorexia and related disorders which don't let that fool you they say anorexia but it's for all eating disorders on there so any of those i think are trusted good resources if someone they wanted more information or to get resources or to find help that's usually a good good place to start and this concludes the first season of the demetrius show i want to sincerely thank everyone who agreed to be a guest and help me tackle some pretty difficult topics and shout out to everyone who supports the show supports me and who encouraged me to do this in the first place i want to especially thank my grandmother 
who is no longer here with me today. Everything that I do to try and help people comes from her, and I always do whatever I can to honor her gift of encouragement. And of course, I want to thank you, the listener, for following me every step of the way. If you want to know when you can expect more episodes, or you just want to know what I'm up to in the meantime, you should definitely check out my website and subscribe to my email list for updates. And as always, be kind to yourself, be safe, and until next time.